0: You're listening to True Heart. Amy and Scott Mallon dive deep with celebrities, mavericks, visionaries, and real-life heroes to find out what sets their souls on fire. Here's Amy and Scott. If you want to learn how to unlock your star power and launch a career in entertainment, don't touch that dial or the internet. Can you tell my kid from the 80s? because on today's True Heart Show, with us, Amy and Scott Mellon, we have Vinny Podestivo as our special guest. So you don't wanna miss this episode.
1: Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever podcasts are found, and you can also find us on YouTube. And uh, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a nice review and a five-star rating.
0: Today's episode is the Star Accelerator, and we have a very special guest, with over 25 years' experience, Vinny Potestivo and his team have become well trusted connectors who sell, develop, produce, launch, distribute, and amplify some of the most talked about original series and talent brands in modern pop culture. He's worked with many celebrities, including Tyrese Gibson, Kelly Osborne, Will I Am, and Hilary Duff, and companies such as Macy's, Samsung, Ciroc, Prudential, and more to help elevate their brands through the use of original content. Vinny's podcast, I Have a Podcast, is available on all platforms. Let's get into it with Vinny Potestivo. One of the things, you know, that I notice pretty much every day when I check in on LinkedIn is you're always sharing these beautiful posts, just offering yourself up, you know, for for help and sharing your expertise and just being this amazing connector, someone who adds so much value to other people's lives. So how do you think Vinny that being a connector has has shaped your life?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think that. (laughs) That's so funny. I appreciate that question Um, because I do think frequently that my contacts, the people that I know, the people in my Rolodex that I've worked with for years the very people I know are a big reason why I've stayed in this industry and I've continued to have success in this industry. But I didn't know a single person until I got into the industry. I didn't have a family member that worked in media. I wasn't even aware that you should know people in media. I I kind of came at, at this opportunity to, to, to work in casting and work in TV. as like, this is what I want to do. So if you can help me... I can help you, then this works out for all of us, as opposed to um, strategically, how am I going to get into media and what are, what are my next steps going to be? I did not grow up thinking I would be the guy in the late 90s who casts the VJs and the MTV News staff on MTV. I, want, I, was, I wanted to be a Broadway producer, man. I, I worked, long story short, I got my job at MTV because I was walking by MTV. I know the date. It was November 8th. 1998. It was spanking new Music Week. Mariah Carey was at MTV, and she had just recorded the Prince of Egypt soundtrack. And my question: I got I got stopped in Times Square. Ananda Lewis stopped me in Times Square and asked if I would like to ask Mariah a question. Back then, in TV, they gave you the question to ask. My question was: What was it like recording with another major recording artist? Because Mariah and Whitney had recorded Prince of that uh, the, the Prince of Egypt, and I didn't get cast. Um, and and I didn't I didn't get to ask my question in that moment. Um, but the director who was in the control room, who I never even met, um, said, "You know, we're so sorry you couldn't come on. You were so, such such a champ for like hanging out, and thank you so much for your energy. Um, we're shooting a very Busta Christmas special tomorrow with Busta Rhymes. Do you happen to have like twenty friends that might want to join?" And <laughs> knowing you knowing me but them yeah. not knowing vinnie potasivo i was like 20 friends that want to come to mtv yeah i'm, I'm like from <laughs> new york are you kidding i only know actors and models and 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 not say i wouldn't say reality stars because they they weren't reality stars weren't you know it wasn't a professional yeah. but personalities for sure were experts for sure were and and that distinguishing personalities and experts is what let me get my footing at MTV, because MTV already had a music talent department, already had a celebrity talent department, and already had an on-camera department for on-air talent. So like, what talent was left over? And (laughs) that's why I'm like, I appreciate the journey, because in in the journey of figuring out how I get to use my skill set, it was, oh, there's, there's no one here at MTV who's listening to Outside talent with ideas, and then keeping those ideas in MTV to see if we can produce them, and then involving those talent. Instead, it's going to manager or production company or label, and the idea. To be honest, those those opportunities were getting stuck. I would say maybe in like uh, financial funnels, relations You know where where network and 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 uh, label or network and management had specific um, financial relationships. Um, I wasn't aware of any of that, and again, here it is here. It is. I was unaware that such rules would exist. So how would I know that running into Will I Am in the studio, Will I Am telling me, Vin, what I really want to do is be a VJ. How come these VJs? I'm only on the show for four minutes if they're playing my video. If I can be on it for an hour, I want to have an hour. And I said, you you would host an hour on MTV. You would do that? He's like, "Are you kidding me?" In a heartbeat, and I I went right up to Dave Surrellnik's office, who head of news and production, and I said, uh, "Well, I am." Told me he wants to be a BJ and he wants to host his own hour on MTV, and we gave him an hour on MTV too, and we tried it out. And that, to be honest, was the first time we even started looking at like ta- we meaning MTV started looking at artists as talent that could support the network as MTV talent, not just as talent. An association, you know, or tangential to music. Um, but I, I feel called to go back to your question, I feel called to help people out because there's a real immediacy to fatigue, to burnout, to drop out. There's, it's hard to get people back in this industry. I, I spend hours on LinkedIn, posting jobs that I don't qualify because I have my own job, and I wish I could apply for because I want to make sure the talented people that I've worked with do find those jobs. First off, I want to know who those people are <laughs> when they get hired. I love being part of people's, you know, um, uh, success stories and how they how they get these big gigs. And if I can help connect, you know, people together and keep them in this industry, most importantly, then I feel like I'm doing my job on camera or off camera. Because the truth is, we we all have to be camera ready. And I really, truly do believe that there should be, a, I mean, some people feel like there's podcast burnout. I've never felt like there was a more creative platform that I don't want to say is a right, but is um, an honor to have a podcast that you create, that you own, that you allow to shape your voice, your brand, your present. There's nothing, no so single social media post, no... TV TV networks owned a TV shows. There's nothing else like that other than in podcasts that allow you to do this. I get oh, excited God. about that.
0: I love that. And I love that Mariah is part of your origin story of how you landed your big job at MTV. And I think it it was also the universe putting you in the right place at the right time, you know, walking by in Times Square that day when they were filming. So Speaking of MTV, working at one of the most iconic brands in pop culture, what is one of your favorite memories of your time um, working at MTV?
2: Oh, I've so I'm getting. By the way, I'm if if, I just got the the I can't even talk the amount of goosebumps that I just got (laughs) when you. I'm flooded. I'm flooded. I can't even begin to describe what I. Bore witness to, or was even a small part of. Um, um, I got to hold. <laughs> it's weird to say this as a as a cat. I as a casting assistant, I I was in the room with Beyonce when she auditioned for MTV's Hip Hop Carmen. Carmen. Um, I, I was in the room when uh, Mandy Moore um, got her first acting role. Uh, silly to say on. A, on an MTV project scripted project called Together, which is uh, a, a mockumentary about boy band. I got to cast um, together. The, just just to be a part of some of these names. I, I was in the meeting when Ashton Kutcher pitched Punk. I was there when Punk became ultimately what Punk became because Punk was not pitched to be the show that it was, but it ended up just to know the journey, there was a moment where Nick Cannon, so I had hired Nick Cannon from Nickelodeon to MTV in hopes that he would replace Carson on TRL, and that was disclosed to Nick after he signed the deal, and that wasn't quite Nick's plan to take over TRL. So that's where we went and found Susie and and um, Vanessa and Caduce. I think was already at the network. Damien Fahey soon after, but. Nick had this great show that was going to be an amazing show for comedians and was going to be like a breeding ground for comics. Wow. And When he pitched Wild and Out, MTV said, No, we don't see it. No thanks. You know, it was just an idea. Everyone's got ideas and it all sounds great. And they passed on it, which meant that Nick could go back into his own life and pitch it to other networks. And what Nick did was spend, I think, like $20,000, to be honest. And at that point, point in time he was dating Christina Milian. So him and Christina rented out a comedy club, and they shot the pilot episode for Wild and Out. Christina was the other comedic celebrity, which is really when you think about how how formats become so literal. You have two celebrities, and then they were supported by comics, and that hasn't changed. But, But Nick had to put money up. And Nick did not have to bring that tape back to MTV. I knew that Wild and Out was... What we needed from a com- from from a comedy development perspective, just from a comedy tool perspective, because you do spend time um, in development looking at buckets of programming. So, like you know, I never I never came up with relationship themed shows because MTV has a bazillion of them. Um, fashion was a big part of my um, career at MTV, so I, I created Eighth and Ocean*, uh, a reality show about the first few experiences of a developing commercial model based on how can I share what it what it looks like to become a model. And while and out was the first thing I'd ever seen that came close to tapping into the genius part and the the raw part, the unapologetic part to be wrong and right, to be funny but not funny at the same time and, and to show that. Um, so I just I really uh I really do get called when I see an opportunity that, um, you know, could fall by the wayside just because it wasn't supported correctly. And um, that's because I, I know the ta- I know the contacts or the people in, in my Rolodex that I can quickly call to make, you know, to help set it up at a platform or at a network um, or at a production company. Um, and then literally, I remember hiring every single, I remember all, Mandy Moore, I, I know where I was when I found Sujin Park. Um, Gideon Yego is one. Gideon Yego was the first person I ever got to hire um, on MTV, Choose or Lose. He just wrote and produced "Mosquito Coast" on Apple Plus, and he's just wow. a genius, brilliant writer. Um, Damien Fahey, you know, uh, I found him as an intern doing weekend shift at some at at a at a radio station in Boston, and now he's a co-executive producer on Family Guy. Um, and just he's these people that I got to cast were one or two, n- not too much younger than me. And we just, were in this orbit together where it's just, you know, it's great to see them working, but it's great to see more community building around them. Vanessa Manillo or Vanessa Lachey now, you know, uh, recording a pilot over at CBS, uh, an NCIS Hawaii um, series. She could be a huge star on CBS. Um, it's so cool. And Mandy Moore, a huge star, you know, on NB. So it's so so cool to see those. Lala, Anthony, by the way. I'm sorry I'm interrupting myself. I'm so, so rude. <laughs> <laughs> Lala, Anthony, like, killing it on power and, like, what she's doing in in, in scripted and music and, like, in culture. And um, I just couldn't be prouder of, of all those people. And MTV turns 40 August 1st of this year. So it's always, like, a... It's crazy to think how young that brand still is, but how impactful it is to specifically youth culture.
0: Absolutely, and it's incredible that you were a part of all of these stars' journeys and that so many of them had their start really at MTV. And, and speaking of these young stars, because you really are a, a star maker, You know, you helped to elevate the personal brands of talent like Mandy Moore and Ashton Kutcher and Jessica and Ashley Simpson and so many others. How do you think, Vinny, social media has changed the careers of stars for the better and the worse?
2: Oh, that's interesting. Um, Yeah, you know, uh, my job at MTV back in 2005 was to make sure that none of the Laguna Beach kids went on Myspace because we were terrified (laughs) if they were on Myspace that it would would literally like cannibalize the numbers on on, on MTV because we were already in 2005 already seeing a decline in numbers overall on programming. So we were trying to figure out, you know, what what was taking people away. Ultimately, I think the answer was programmatic content, like turning the DVR and eight o'clock watch MTV, you know, that idea, how, how we served media. Um, and I think a lot of it is based on creating urgency to get a massive amount of people to watch the same thing at the same time. Because that's where community happens. Like that's the magic. Yeah. And, and when 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 a mass, like the, th- the thing that's so cool about the Super Bowl and the fact that commercials are such like a, a star of the of the, of that show, is millions and millions of people are watching it. Those the, we're all culturally um, experiencing the same media in, in a very similar setting and format. So we're all. Experiencing this the same way, but in our own unique perspectives. What makes social media difficult for the celebrity brand is one st- streamlining the brand or conversation. So, yeah. 15 years ago, if you wanted to go live, you would go to TRL and Times Square at 3 30, and that's how you went live. And if you wanted, you know, every Magazine weekly magazine to know that your new album was dropping you just had to hit one or two of the big shows um, To be able to put it out there now And and also I want to point out. I grew up watching MTV where the news came every 10 10 to the hour every hour so even then I was programmed to To be aware of when news can come to me 10 to the hour every hour means only 24 times are you telling me something new is in the day. Now I have the ability to go live every minute. I have the ability to go live on multiple platforms from multiple point of views also. Um, and it, it changes the messaging, How it changes how the messaging is told, um, which certainly is going to change how the message is received. If you look at... Um, you know, we, we, see, we see these big uh, 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 actors doing junkets. They have, there's a movie, they go to a hotel, they sit in a chair, uh, 50, 100 million people are asking them questions and they always say the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. And the reason, and you know this, but the reason they have to say the same thing over and over again is because if Matthew McConaughey tells you what kind of oatmeal he ate for, for breakfast, I guarantee you that network will run that soundbite, because it's just different than everything else that's out there. And it's all about, you know, soundbites and attention. So what Matthew McConaughey has to do, that's more difficult than anything else in the world, is make sure his answer is coming across with your question. (laughs) And that, that, that is not, you know, um, an easy piece to be able to um, get what you want out when people are asking you, you know, sort of what they're, I don't want to say what they want to know because I think some of it also is like some. I think some people ask questions based on what they want people hearing them ask, if that makes sense too. It does. So there's a, a lot of like faux journalism and he, hero journalism sort of happening in the social media space. And, and I think that's where the messages really, really, really get lost. Um, I asked I asked Mandy Moore this question about her relationship with social media on my podcast because um, uh, I love that she spends so much time showing the world what she's like in hair and makeup. I know that version of Mandy very well. Like that's like my job was like hang out with Mandy in hair and makeup and wardrobe until we're ready to shoot and make sure she has energy when he, you know when she's ready to go and and my question to her was like how it just feels like you have such control over it, it feels like you don't ever go on social media, write a post and are disappointed if no one sees it or write a post and then not post it because it's not the right time or it's the the wrong strategy or i have to get hashtag like all of these other pieces bits and pieces that were kind of fed about how to i don't want to say beat the system but how to like um yeah maybe it's how to beat the maybe how to beat the algorithm how to beat how to become a celebrity, maybe, you know, like there's these steps that people think they can take that will get them there quicker. And the truth is, is that nothing, nothing will build you quicker love and quicker trust and quicker support from your audience than a very long relationship. (laughs) This is the sad truth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Something I'm
1: really interested in because you've worked with so many amazing people and being in casting, Um, what is it the quality, what is it that you, when you're in the room with somebody, you know, and you've seen so many people, obviously, like, you know, if it's for a show, casting for a show or, you know, whatever it is, what is that thing that you look for that you're like, okay, this person has something, you know, they always say like, oh, this person has it as if there's it, what is it? What is it that you, you know, I don't know. I just think people are fascinated by this idea of like how somebody came from, nobody knew who they were or they were just starting out and they got their big break what was it that happened in that room that elevated them in your eyes to like we have to cast this per- this is the person
2: yeah um I think there there are um probably if I were to look at some of the bigger successes in the in the talent that I've been able to cast there's probably a series of things of flags that happened along the way Um Uh, both good and bad. For example, uh, it's it's not very easy to be your true, authentic, transparent self. It's very easy for you to come into a room with me, tell me exactly who you want me to think you are and who you actually truly want to be, and then leave that room and not be able to be that character in front of your kids, in front of your mom, in front of your husband or lover or uh, teacher or You know, grandparents, um, especially, to be honest, in, I'm I'm 44, so I would say in my generation over, where I was not trained as a child, as a teenager, to be my authentic self. I was part of 15 different social groups. I had 15 different looks. Vinny with the under-eye line, Vinny with the hat, Vinny with the hoodie, Vinny with the polo, Vinny. So I sort of moved. manipulated myself to be a version that I wanted to be with those groups of people based on the fact that, that there was no internet saying, here's Vinny, here's, and this is where everyone can come look. I got to be the version of me that I felt was impressive. So we can talk, you know, I don't know if it would make me cry in this a little bit, but like, if we want to talk a little bit about like even how I even, why I do this painstaking thing of like helping people, be successful. It's because like I had a I had to help myself, and there was challenges that I had to overcome that I would never ask anyone to ever overcome. And hopefully, I can alleviate them before they do. But, um, but understanding what the motive is. So, under is your uh, is your goal to get on television, or is your goal to change the world by being on television? Um, that matters to me, and. It matters to me because I, I've been in situations where I've cast people who are willing to do certain things just to be on TV versus are willing to do things to make a change and will use TV to be a medium to do that. And I think early in my career, I was very connected to the fact that um, what I didn't want to do was create a fake reality. I didn't want a version of... Something on television and not have that in real life. And the Osbournes, Jess Jess Simpson is certainly an amazing example of, of a human being who couldn't, who whose authentic self got lost in like how the press wanted her to be. Until we finally were able to set the record straight with Newlyweds, which was her request. She wanted to do Newlyweds. She wanted the world to see who she was, all the flaws. In fact. It was almost like just only show them the flaws. Don't show them any of the good stuff. All the good stuff is like what they project on me. Just show them the flaws, and we saw how America like fell for that. And th- and, and and then I did it with Ashley Simpson also. Um, yeah. So there's a real need to get on even even. Je- so this is what I love about Jessica Simpson's success story. Like if you look back in the day when Newlyweds was. Was on on TV. She out of if there was four females, let's say five female singers, Pink, Brittany, Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson and Mandy Moore. Pink hadn't quite broken through yet was was still they were still trying to figure out where where she fit on radio, but she wasn't necessarily. I mean, remember the was it Pepsi or Coke. Oh, no. The Gladiator commercial.
0: Oh, yeah, the Gladiator commercial. I think it's, it's a cool. Pepsi.
2: It's a Pepsi? Done. Yeah. And it's like, it's like Beyonce, Pink, Shakira, yeah. and Britney, right? I think was that yeah. the cast? It was a killer cast, by the way. Um, yeah, I
0: know that Britney um, was a Pepsi spokesperson because she yeah. came to my Winter Music Conference event, which was sponsored by my client, Coca-Cola, and she told me secretly that she loved Coca-Cola and i had to make sure that no one filmed her drinking Coca-Cola at our party this because very true. Like, this will kill my endorsement deal so i swapped out you know her glass and and um no one could see that she was drinking Coca-Cola so and by maybe-
2: the way the question earlier about like how does social media help or hurt celebrities it, with this with this question right here about like Someone has a photo of, of them drinking a coke from ten years ago. That comes, but that that actually yeah. will hurt you and will unfortunately null and void you know the contract and it will not, not make your life so easy for sure. Um,
1: it sounds like uh, really what you're drawn to, which makes sense, is authenticity. You know, you're looking for someone who's going to come in there, be super charismatic. I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth, but yeah. it seems like someone who's got lots of charisma but still knows how to be super authentic because people, and I think it's the same with social media, people wanna see the real thing. They, they're they tired of like salesy gimmicks, like, you know, cheesiness, people just wanna see the real thing, whether it's good or bad or some mix in between. So it sounds like, I mean, if that's- if Yeah, I'm authenticity, absolutely. It,
2: authenticity and, and also um, uh, being a strong and effective and quick decision maker. So, uh, it's important in reality TV, um, if, especially if you're working in an ensemble setting where there's you know, six main sort of cast members in a show, um, or if you're going up in a competition setting where you're being dropped in a house, um, I think it's really imp- that that's really important. Um, when you get into some of the reality TV shows about gaming and things like that, that's where I can talk a little bit more about like having a strategy to win and really like understanding the strategy of the game and how important that is to stand out in the audition process. That's certainly um a big part of it. Um, understanding how people fit into buckets, you know, how people think, um, stereotypes, you know, happen all the way up and down the border creatively. So you can imagine how people describe, you know, look at Real World, all the seasons of Real World, and you think about the different types of people that were cast in in that. And, um, you know, there's this question a long time ago about, like, the, you know, what's the United Colors of Benetton um, casting approach to Real World? Why does it always seem like there's, like, one white, you know, one white male who doesn't, who's homophobic? One, uh, you know, um, someone maybe who's uh, on the brink of coming out. And and the people tend to identify people when they're talking about reality tv casting and i want to point out that especially for reality tv on a on a network like MTV where there's such youth culture and there's from the network such a responsibility to have representation of certain stories. Um, in reality TV, we call them uh, uh, story engines and the story engine is where I'm constantly going to be pulling story from. So I would say there's, a st- on the Kardashians, for example, there's a story engine between mom and kids. That's one clear yeah. story. There's also a story engine between each of the kids, You know, between Kim and each of the kids, maybe between the three older sisters and the two sisters between, um, you know, uh, 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 all the the sort of variances that you can imagine. And I think that when we cast certain types of people, we're hoping for certain storylines. So I've never been part of a show where I had to cast for conflict um, because I've never been part of a show that antagonized the cast to get a reaction, but I have been parts of shows that intentionally went out and sought characters and added a certain type of voice to the show so that those conversations could happen.
0: True Heart is brought to you by Tushy.
1: Are you still wiping your butt with all that toilet paper you hoarded last year? How's that going for you? Let me introduce you to a new way to clean after you handle your business. Meet Hello Tushy. Tushy is the modern bidet that easily clips to any toilet and installs in just 10 minutes. Starting at just $99, Tushy sprays a precise stream of clean water and washes away all of that literal crap that toilet paper leaves behind. Upgrade your bathroom experience by going to Hello T-U-S-H-Y dot That's hellotushy.com. Tushy saves the environment and reduces your carbon butt print. Tushy saves you money on toilet paper and Tushy saves your butt. Go to HelloTushy, that's T-U-S-H-Y dot com. Stop wiping, start washing with Tushy. True Heart is brought to you by This Saves Lives.
0: This Saves Lives is a ridiculously delicious food brand that gives back. Every single purchase sends life-saving food to a child in need. Co-founders Kristen Bell, Ryan Devlin, Todd Grinnell, and Ravi Patel launched This Saves Lives with a simple motto, buy a bar, feed a child, we eat together. Now with more than just bars, their products contain premium ingredients and are non-GMO, gluten-free, and kosher dairy. Their unique line of kids' products all contain one full serving of fruits and vegetables and are safe for school. To buy their ridiculously delicious snacks, head on over to thissaveslives.com.
1: True Heart is brought to you by Half United. For over a decade, lifestyle brand Half United has been using fashion to feed people all over the world to break the cycle of generational poverty the community provides gainful employment to local artisans and vulnerable communities who create their handmade and sustainable products for every half united product purchase seven meals are given to a child in need half united has donated over 1 million meals to date shop their beautiful jewelry tees handbags and home accessories at halfunited.com and help fight global hunger true heart is brought to you by brothers meatballs
0: say ciao to tradition and hello to your new favorite plant-based italian bistro in los angeles brothers meatballs brothers meatballs was founded by brothers and food industry veterans Mauro and sergio corbia who hail from the isle of sardinia italy When they joined forces with second-generation Italian chef, Mark Middleman, their self-proclaimed brother from another mother, the concept for Brothers Meatballs was born. Morrow was the founder and creator of Morrow's Cafe Inside Fred Siegel, a long-standing LA hotspot. Dissatisfied with the amount of plant-based dining options, reminiscent of the home-cooked meals their mother once made, the brothers were determined to create a menu so delicious it would appeal to herbivores and omnivores alike. Inspired by the food mama so lovingly prepared for Sunday suppers, these meatballs are a modern take on a family classic. All menu items are 100% plant-based and made with mama's secret ingredient. Love, Angelinos can order lunch and dinner Wednesday through Sunday at brothersmeatballs.com. We're having so much fun and we hope you are enjoying the show. Don't forget to head on over wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe, leave us a great review, and give us a five star rating. We really appreciate you. All right, we're going to jump back into our chat with Vinny Podestivo. Representation matters, as you just said. And in recent years, we've seen you know wonderful shows like Grey's Anatomy and Shit's Creek and Pose and Love Victor and many others, um, really making space for these powerful. LGBTQ plus storylines. So I'm curious to know, um, Vinny, obviously, that's a great start. There's so much work that still needs to be done. So what can the industry do in front of and behind the camera to really ensure that accurate stories um, are told and that we move towards a true culture of acceptance for the LGBTQ plus community?
2: That's a great question. Um, I I think a lot of it has to do with funding. Um, Where there's finance and funding there, there will be, you know, um, content and uh, energy and activity. So I think one of the big steps that I've seen happen in the last, say, year, year and a half is seeing podcast platforms, specifically targeting certain types of groups, whether they're um, by gender whether they're by background or whether they're by um, interests you know spe- in a special interest in, in like the, the, the conversation the, the, the categories that they want to sort of be appearing in so it's the first time in my 20 years where I've seen a, a real solid decision and energy put towards financing and ensuring that diversity and and this question of representation and getting more un- understanding the breadth and understanding the dynamic. I mean, it's interesting even when I think about like the LGBTQ or the LGBT first, you know, acronym, that then LGBT, LGBTQ uh, plus I and then A. And even now how we're just still adding colors, I think yeah. to, to our flag, I think it's super cool that, um, and I don't know any period in time ever where there's been as much growth um, emotionally. Uh, and also, um, uh, this is we, we, I don't know how to bring this up, but like um, emojis are a really interesting way to connect. We literally invented a whole nother language that we can all globally connect with. And we're still in the process, or it's actually such an infancy of a language, but we're, okay, let's think of it this way. How long has English been on this planet for, for as long as that has? Obviously emojis, only maybe a couple of years. And in the emoji conversation, we're already having conversations about skin tone, about representation in the emojis, and in these actual characters that we're using, that we're choosing to use to be able to connect globally that's, that's interesting to me, that that social media has has sort of helped us not just connect creatively. So I, I understand when we have these fun TikTok, I like the challenges, and then I like TikTok challenges and Instagram challenges and memes, I like those trends because if you do it and I do it, then we have something together that we can c- connect with and how you did it and how I did it would be different. And that's what's interesting about these trends. So I think of I think of how there was this like, you know, sudden language that we all took on, let's call it emojis and then we all took on. And the fact that there's also a tremendous amount of finance being poured into this direction of content that's coming and the people who are financing those projects are also representative of the voices they're looking for. So it, it isn't people who are looking to finance projects who don't understand the projects that they're financing. And I think that that's a big difference now versus when I was at the network 10 years ago as an executive, where I was part of an inclusion team. I was part of the diversity you know, council. I helped bring in a tremendous amount of diverse talent to MTV in my 10 years um, being there. Many of whom are still actually there by the way, or or gigantic in in culture and cultural programming as well. Um, But I think that that's the big difference is that, is that the people who are financing these projects are the people who understand them. Like for me, when I was at MTV and I had to go find the new host of Direct Effect Here I am, I ended up hiring DJ Clue and uh, Lala, Anthony. Um, So how did I find DJ Clue? I I called the radio station. Actually, Flex introduced me to the head of programming. And I was able to, through Funkmaster, because Funkmaster Flex was already on MTV, I said, look, I I got a spot to fill. I'm not the best person to say who should be in this spot, but I know I can call a lot of people who will be able to tell me. Who who the right people are? Lala was brilliant. Lala, I love. Oh, oh gosh, just the whole Lala, all, Vanessa, all those talent were so verbal in regards to the types of talent that we should be working with. And um, it's it, it, it I, and I listened and I listened. That's how Yo Mama even got on board with Wilmer because Mandy was dating Will, and he was just a wonderful guy and. Um, Otherwise, that show could have been lost. By the way, Wilmer pitched me Yo Mama and I said, I don't get it. That's not like I don't get that show. That's not I'm a mama's boy. What are you talking about, yo mama? <laughs> no, I think you lost. I think you're I think this one's lost in translation, buddy. I love you. And luckily, he so the way we were set up at MTV, I was in the East Coast and I had a counterpart, Danny Via, and the West Coast. And luckily, him and Danny Via also hit it off. So he brought it up to Danny. And Danny loved it. And it was a huge hit. And it's just really funny to think of like, you know, so you make those mistakes along the way, and but but there's something culturally that they saw in that show that I didn't see coming from being a white guy from Staten Island that I didn't see at, that Wilmer saw being an immigrant to America or, or that Danny Villa saw as um, a guy who grew up in, in Florida probably in a very um, Spanish and English environment um, as opposed to me who grew up, you know, with predominantly Irish, Italian... Americans in Staten Island. Um,
0: well, speaking of Staten Island, yeah. I want to rewind for a quick moment oh boy to our time together um, in New York, because obviously knowing each other at the start of both of our, you know, careers from hanging out at fifteen fifteen Broadway and collaborating on events and campaigns and hanging at the MTV Beach House in the Florida Keys, working on couches at, you know, bungalow, lot 61, yes. having all those fun nights out. New York is obviously such a big part of both of our stories. So I want to know what really made New York unforgettable for you in your 20s. I know you're still there, but when we were starting out, what made New York so special to you? Yeah,
2: well, I mean, I'm uh, as I said, I'm from Staten Island, so I re- I remember New York when I wouldn't. I mean, growing up, I didn't want to be come to Manhattan. It was not a, the safest place to go. You didn't dream of wanting to go to Times Square. You were terrified to go to Times Square in the in the '90s, up until when Disney, you know, really bought it. But what I can say now. So this question is brilliant to answer now as my 44-year-old self. I'm glad I'm not answering this question when I was a 20-year-old. Um, the amount of people that come through New York when they're 20, specifically 20-year-olds, 20 yeah. the amount of young talent that come through New York. I was not aware. I know that New York is a transient city, and I know that people come and go. And But you don't understand I'm from New York. So to me, you're either in New York or you're – coming back <laughs> there's no there's like no other place you're either a New Yorker or you're coming back to New York sometime soon whenever you're done wherever you know you're I I could not imagine meeting the talent that I met if I was not here in New York City M- me specifically Vinny Patastiva. I'm not saying everyone in the world but but where I had access and who I had access to I, I had the key, I had the keys to the kingdom, I feel like, um, to pop culture at least in, in, in my 20s. And um, if you, and the thing I love most about my career is being surrounded by talent. So I will literally do anything I can to be surrounded by empoweringly amazing talent. And I will change the mediums that I'm working on. I will change. I will change from selling TV shows to creating podcasts if it means that I get to work with a different group of talent or if I get to work with the same group of talent in a very different way that's equally as exciting but I've just I've always been enamored and in love with raw talent and I truly think I have like the most talented friends in the world that's why earlier when I said this woman asked me if I would have 20 friends that wanted to come on MTV the next day for a very Busta Christmas special. Of course I did. I, it's literally, I love talented people. I love it. So I didn't want to be a casting director, but I got to help talented people get on shows. Okay. And by the way, you, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, as an executive at MTV, I wasn't really seen as a casting director. I was more like a talent executive or like, a, like Vinny does overseas casting, but not the actual casting director himself anymore. It wasn't until I left in 2007 and started my agency that um, I got to take a step backwards and get my hands dirty again and really start finding raw and real talent. Um, But in New York, there's just, you could just stand on a corner, (laughs) 50,000 people walk by you. Like that's like, where else can you do that? Not in LA, you got to sit in a car in LA. It's not the same experience.
0: It's so true. And yeah, New York is this breeding ground for amazing talent. And so many people that I know, you know, got their start in New York. And for me growing up in Miami, Scott knows, you know, my grandparents were Brooklyn Jews that then moved to Miami. um, And they would always play their favorite song to me, New York, New York by Frank Sinatra. And it was this one line, you know, that stuck with me. If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. And I, I had these dreams. I had never been to New York, but I'm going to go there. I don't know anyone there. I have you know, no connections, no place to live. I'm just going to figure shit out you know, at 19 years old. And that's what I did. And I knew that at that moment in time, it was the only place that I was meant to be. And being there in my early 20s, like the energy was infectious. I think it was unmatched with any other place mm-hmm. on the planet. As you said you just stepped out onto a street corner and you could feel this amazing rush of energy it made me feel so alive and starting my career there and meeting these fascinating people not just in entertainment but you know from business and finance and and advertising and the start of like the dot-com boom oh yeah it was such a cool place to be and and culture and community and New Yorkers are just like tough as nails and they'll always tell you what's on their mind. And I love that. And it's such an important part of my story. And New York will always have the most special place in my heart. And, you know, I look at you, you know, Vinian in the most beautiful way, like to me, you're you're New York through and through. <laughs> you, you rep New York in, in such a great way, because everything you do is all about, like, how can you give back? How can you make the people of New York a bigger a bigger success? And how can you just bring more like light and positivity to, to your hometown? And that's just a beautiful thing. So we have one final question for you, Vinny, um, which ties it all in with a nice bow. And sure. that is, what do you want your legacy to be?
2: Oh, that's so interesting. Um, yeah, I think that um, I was lucky to start my career where I started and I think that um, I say that because I can see myself ending my career the the very, very same way that I started it. Um, And if I can help out as many talented people as possible, connect to mediums or platforms or projects, whether they're self-funded, whether you're creating it on your own or whether it's something that is in your head and you need someone to help you figure out the right team to put it together so you can bring it to you know, the right platform. I want to be known for being that guy. I want to be known for for being able to help Beyonce get her first acting role, but also being able to help you, not you, Amy and Scott, but like the listener be able to accomplish their, create their podcast. And I, I, want, I want people to think of me as one of the first people they think of in their creative career. And if I can help, you with a couple of tools and tricks and skills and attitude mindsets that have taken me, you know, a couple of years to learn. I say that modestly, or if still, not, I still haven't learned it, which is really why I'm doing the podcast. It's so an excuse so I can go back and ask all the people who taught me everything I already know to tell it to me again because time has changed. And I know that that if I trusted you once and you trust me and we're in this support place that you're the right person for me. Am I? in my mind to impact the direction that i'm going in so um when all is said and done i just would really love to be there to help people you know just land on their strongest creative foot enjoy the process not get burned out and uh, and make a change and make a big impact while they're doing it um i don't i don't know if the project that i've worked on is the one that you know hopefully none of the projects that i've worked on are the ones that land on you know my tombstone but if they were to I would be okay with that TRL and Osborne's and Newlyweds and Laguna Beach and Wild and Out and all the talent that, you know, all the talent I brought to MTV, Lala, Clue, Nick Cannon, all those diverse voices who are now producing and are, are now responsible for bringing in yet again, another wave of, ta- all of that work that they're doing makes my job worthwhile. And that's why I like working with tremendously talented people. The same exact way I like working with people who may identify as having no creative or artistic talent um, as I was told as a teenager, um, because I am proof that those quote unquote non-talented certainly can have a thriving career as a creative and especially have an impactful one in the media industry.
0: Well, that's really beautiful Vinny, And it's amazing that you were there from moment one for so many of these wonderfully successful people that you helped discover and nurture and set on the right path and as you said really the ripple effect because now they're bringing in other diverse uh talent to tell these amazing stories and you know bring in more inclusion and diversity and representation in entertainment and media Um, it all started somewhere and that somewhere was including you and and your story at 1515 Broadway. So thank you for being with us on the True Heart Show today and for sharing your amazing story and all of your memories throughout your career. And we know it's gonna inspire a lot of people to tap into their creative energy and to, uh, to go for it, whatever their artistic pursuits are.
2: I love it. Well, I just think, you know, I think I love what you're doing. I think that, you know, as a casting director, as a talent executive, I've said this many times to my producers and to my talent, be careful what you're looking for and where you look for it, because you will find it. And I love what you're doing with True Heart and the energy you're putting out there just in terms of keeping things moving.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to us, Vinny. It's great to see you. Likewise
1: Thank you for joining us. This was great. Hey guys, don't forget to subscribe wherever podcasts are found. And uh, you can find us on YouTube. We would definitely appreciate a really nice review and a five star rating. That definitely helps us out a lot.
0: And special thanks to today's amazing guest, my longtime friend and colleague, Vinny Podestivo. Thank you for dropping some thanks, gems Vinny. of wisdom on the show today and we hope everyone unlocks their star power and uh follows their dreams that's what life's all about right scott
1: absolutely i followed my star power um sort of anyway (laughs) uh thanks for joining us we will be back next week with another awesome episode and uh we'll see you soon
0: see you guys